Welcome to the 374th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Thank you for listening. Well, um, my, my running streak's still going. It is the 20th of January, and I've got every day gone so far. I've, uh, I think the minimal mileage is, was a three-mile day, and the rest have been five to seven to 21 was a long run last weekend. Actually felt pretty good. Um, our 50-mile race is February 13th in Texas, the Hoka 50-miler. So we're, again, just still adding up the mileage, adding up the mileage. Um, hoping to do a little back-to-back this weekend. Weather permitting, last weekend we got um, somewhat rained out on Sunday, but, again, managed to get a three-miler in, which was okay. It was nice to get a little bit of rest after the 21 miles. It's a little cooler here in Florida. We're actually getting weathers in the morning in the 40s and 50s, so that makes it a little bit better. Last Saturday for the 21-miler, however, we got into the high 70s, so... You felt that at the end. Um, not sure what the weather's going to be in Texas. I'm going to guess it's going to be in the 40s, but you could be anywhere this time of year, just north of Houston. It could be 30. It could be 70. So who knows? I am very diligent with my mobility, hip flexors, um, you know, calves, rolling out, using my mobility balls. Uh, so I feel pretty good um, from that aspect of things. I got a new pair of Newton trail shoes to throw in the mix. So I've been rotating Newton road shoes, Lone Peak Ultras, and Lone Peak Temps. So I'm going to put the Newton trails in there. They feel pretty good. Haven't, haven't broke them out of the box yet. I'm kind of saving them because I think they're going to be in the rotation for the 50-miler. Trying to get my strength training in one to two times a week. So that should be um, pretty good. Uh, pretty much daily, I do a little spin up with body weight squats and some lunges. But uh, so I'm trying to get back into doing some heavier weights again. Uh, Got to keep being able to lift these German shepherds just in case. So this week, um, you know, what's happening in the office? And, you know, I always kind of like to talk a little bit about what's going on in my life as far as. Um, you know, what do I see in the office, what I hear on the phone, what I see people talking about online. And, you know, a lot um, has to do with January and, you know, which diet is the best diet every year. I, I think Consumer Reports puts out of which is the best diet. I don't know, popularity, whatever, ease to follow, most likely to do. Um, you know, so it's whether it's Mediterranean or plant-based or paleo. Uh, the worst one is always keto. Um, I have to tell you that I have seen the highest cholesterol readings on people that have went to keto. Uh, if I see somebody with a cholesterol in the 300s, most always they've tried a ketogenic diet. So I just warn you, not only do you have an increased risk of cancer, but you can really send your cholesterol a-flying uh, with, that, with that diet. But a lot of times people, you know, um, used to be... Uh, People were told to graze all day so you don't get really hungry and that you keep your metabolism up. And now the buzzword is kind of intermittent fasting or eating in a certain period of time. And, you know, we all take those definitions to our own advantage, you know, whether it's graze on chips and cookies and things like that or intermittent fasting to, you know, eat uh, a whole lot of stuff that maybe not so so healthy, but it's in a short window of time. Um, 
you know, we all can kind of make those nutrition plans not work. Obviously, if you eat a little bit often, you probably can get away with it. If you eat um, the correct foods in a short period of time, you probably can get away with it. But there's a lot of wiggle room, and, um, you know, those kind of boundaries around food. And, you know, one of the things that um, I've seen and, um, and, you know, brings up to mind is, you know, what happens to your body when, you know, you're fasting or you're eating all the time. And when you're you know, your body, we have to send blood flow. From a cardiology standpoint, I'm a, I'm a plumber. Um, blood flow goes to your muscles when you're exercising, and it's shifted away from your gut. Uh, when you're eating food, you have blood flow shifted to your gut. When you're sitting around thinking, you have blood flow that's, you know, shifted a little bit more towards your brain. Our, our bodies adjust to what's going on. And so if you're grazing all the time, you're always shifting a little bit of your blood flow to your gut, and your gut's always busy digesting things. And so it never really gets a break. You're always making digestive enzymes to some degree. You're always uh, having some sort of insulin uh, being released from your pancreas. You, you know, so there's all these metabolic processes that are going on and they never really get to clear. And if somebody's a diabetic, they may never normalize their glucose. They may never normalize their insulin when they're kind of grazing all day. They're just kind of topping off, so to speak. Um, and then, you know, when people are, again, intermittently fasting, sometimes uh, people can be busy during the day and they don't eat, but when they eat, they eat the wrong thing, so then they can have this giant insulin spike um, associated with a high-fat, high-glucose diet, and then, you know, can lead to actual um, impairment in glucose metabolism, can possibly get hypoglycemic episodes. So none of these methods, you know, are foolproof. Uh, it's, it's all in the way that people, people handle them. But, you know, one thing to think about if you look at aging and metabolic health, our body has to clear the toxins, metabolic waste, uh, excess calories are stored as fat. But when we eat, um, and depending on what we eat, um, we have uh, enzymes that are, that are released into the bloodstream, such as mTOR for growth and development or to, for cell division. And obviously, if there's insulin released, uh, we get increased growth, uh, insulin growth factor and tumor necrosis factors. So there's much more than insulin going on when we're, when we're eating and depending on what we're eating. Uh, certainly, eating animal products has a big, uh, much larger release in mTOR than eating plant foods. But if we're not eating uh, and, we're, and we're in the fastest state, we actually have an increase in cellular repair and partly because of a protein that's turned on that helps our cells repair called AMPK or uh, adenosine monophosphate activated protein kinase. That's what we call it, AMPK. It's too many, too many words. And, and during that time, you know, we get cellular repair. And so if you think of it day in and day out, um, your body's how much time do you get to, re to repair? My Garmin watch tells, gives me a body battery score um, based on how much I recovered from uh, the day's activities and uh, how much sleep I got and heart rate variability. There's a, there's a score, and I've talked about it before. When that body battery score is low, it's a sign of you know not fully recovered, not, not really um, back to my potential. 
when it's up good, uh, you know, I know that uh, looking back that, you know, it, it correlates with having a good day, being, being rested. Same thing happens to our body. If we're always in a state of pounding, pounding, pounding from a metabolic standpoint, you could infer that, you know, it, it's, a, it's a lot more stress on our cells uh, for cellular repair. We don't have time to do other things if we're just digesting food. So you might think about that when you're selecting uh, a dietary process or maybe examine how you eat and look at what food you eat and how much and how much rest does your, does your body get if you're always, um, uh, you know, adding a little bit here and there. Um, you know, I talked a little bit uh, today uh, to someone, you know, when, we, when people have smoothies or people do liquid meal replacements, a lot of times we can justify to ourselves that, okay, well, it's okay to have that because that's the calories, what I, it's less calories than I would have if I were going to eat something. And a lot of times that's true. Uh, you might drink a smoothie that has less calories than a meal might have, but then, you know, it doesn't take very long when you're hungry and then you're going to have some snacks, and, and we typically don't count those. So people remember the smoothie and they remember dinner, but they don't remember what tied them over until dinner. And the little picking that goes on because, you know, that liquid calories just kind of went through us and um, didn't, really, didn't really keep us from, you know, taking in more calories. I certainly think different personality types are attracted to different ways of maybe reining in our nutrition or reining in our caloric consumptions. Uh, a lot of people can get busy during the day and they don't eat or they don't feel the necessity to eat or they can you know, drink, drink their calories during the day. Um, some people, uh, you know, need to feel the need to, to actually always be eating something. And maybe, you know, some people that when they quit smoking, uh, they need to do something. So they're always kind of nibbling on something. And there's this fear of being deficient in nutrients or deficient in calories. And what happens if I get hungry? What happens if I drop my blood sugar? Uh, I got asked, what happens if I get the shakes, you know, because my, uh, you know, my blood glucose drops a little bit or I become hypoglycemic because I'm borderline? Well, it, it really won't go down to zero. It, it can be uncomfortable, but your glucose will kind of bottom out and come around in most instances. If people are on medications, it can be blunted. Metformin, for instance, decreases the liver's ability to make glucose, so it decreases the body's capacity to recover from a hypoglycemic episode. So if people are sick and they're either vomiting or having diarrhea and they can't take in food, they can get into really big troubles on metformin if they take it because their body can't recover by uh, making glucose. So they become acidotic and can get into real trouble really quick. But if you're not on medication, then your body will, will, will come around and you know a lot of times there's a vicious cycle when people feel hypoglycemic or shaky then they grab something. If they grab something fatty or really heavy, you know, if you grab a candy bar, that's really going to overshoot uh, the glucose and the fat. It's going to go, you know, the glucose is going to go up again, and then you're going to have that same vicious cycle come back. So if you can be a little patient, you know, and, and at, at worst case scenario, if you're feeling really bad, taking a little piece of fruit, um, then, you know, everything will stabilize out. And just know that you can slow down your exercise. Um, take it easy until your heart rate recovers and, and your body will break down some fat once your heart rate comes down and, and, and you'll be all right. Take in some fluids. So it's just a matter of being patient. And, instead of grabbing for something that's really high in calories or high in fat, 
that ends up driving you. I'm still a huge proponent of uh, the old-fashioned way of eating, three meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, perhaps some fruit in the evening. That's kind of what I do. Um, but I think that it gives you time to sit down with your meal and look at what you're actually eating, plan it accordingly, look at your plate, see it's well-balanced, see you have all your colors there, see if you have fiber. Then you know what you're eating three times a day. It's easy to remember what you're eating if you, if you have specific meal times. When you just graze all day long, you really don't know. And when you're really, really hungry and you're just grabbing anything you can, often you don't plan and, and then you overeat. So, you know, if you can, uh, it doesn't have, they don't have to be fancy meals. People say they don't have time to cook. Of course, I go over this every time. It's the most important thing you're doing. So taking time to brush your teeth is something most of us do so we don't have our teeth right out of our head. So taking time to prepare food is very important to maintain good nutrition. And certainly breakfast and lunch can be fairly similar every day. You just have to come up with a dinner. There can be leftovers. Um, simple food, you know, Dr. Graham, I'll go back to him again. Um, simple fruit and uh, some, some vegetables raw. That's, that's uh, if you're really pushed for time and that's all you have, that's a mono meals, going to be perf perfectly adequate. If you get your colors in, uh, you don't have to worry. If you have more time, then you, you can make something. This evening, um, I got a little bit uh, waylaid uh, coming home from work and then had a couple things come up that I didn't get dinner started right away, uh, but uh, we decided to have some uh, pho soup, and I made it in the Instapot, and 40 minutes later, we were sitting down eating at the table. Um, you know, we used, I didn't have any uh, bok choy that I usually use, but I had Swiss chard, I added that, my mushrooms, a little bit of miso, uh, my spices, I have lemongrass growing in the backyard, a little bit of, grabbed a little bit of that, a little anise, um, some cinnamon, clove. I roasted some garlic while I was getting things prepped in my uh, toaster oven, threw that in there as well. Um, again, I think I said my mushrooms, uh, and then we did some uh, uh, noodles at the end to, to put it over. I call them one-pot wonders when you cook in the Instant Pot because really you don't have much cleanup besides your, your dishes and uh, the Instant Pot, so um, it, it makes life pretty easy and pretty quick if you're running, in, um, running late or being a little tired. So, you know, come up with two or three soups that you like. It's a, it's a great way to, as a filler, uh, on days that you're a little bit rushed. So, um, Hippocratic Oath, I took one when I uh, graduated from medical school, do no harm. Uh, Hippocrates has been quoted, uh, one of the plant-based uh, quotes that are used, let food be thy medicine. Um, everybody seems to know that one. Um, we don't adhere to it some of the times. Um, but one of the other things that um, he said was, everyone has a physician inside of him or her. We just have to help it work. The natural healing force within each one of us is the greatest force in getting well. Our food should be our medicine. Our medicine should be our food. In other words, we all have a huge uh, amount of control on our healing, and our bodies are amazing things, given the opportunity, can, can heal themselves from, from just about anything if we, if we just give it a moment. And I think that comes back to eating. If you just give your body a moment, we have a chance to heal it if we just don't keep adding insult to injury. I also think that means that we need to trust our bodies and our immune system because if we give it the right nutrients, our body is capable of taking care of uh, itself and 
we don't have to depend on outside forces to heal us all of the time. And certainly, there are instances where uh, medications are needed and are life-saving. Um, but what we don't realize is there are a lot of times in a, in a body that is well-nourished and working fine, just giving it the opportunity to rest will do a whole lot uh, to help heal from just about anything. It is when we are debilitated when things start to go awry. We just have to be careful that we don't do things to further debilitate ourselves uh, in, in that process of, of healing. So, you know, again, last week we talked about risk versus benefit, but it, but it keeps coming back to that. Um, just being patient. Uh, I've had a lot of people, uh, we've had a b big um, increase in COVID lately. Um, it's that time of the year when, when viruses and people get sick, the vitamin D levels are lower. People, you know, in Florida are visited by people up north. Um, people are starting to go out when they didn't go out. Um, perhaps vaccines are starting to wane. But, but there, is, there is disease that's going around. And I'm frankly, I'm seeing as many people with COVID that have been vaccinated versus people that are unvaccinated. So uh, it's not picking on one. It's not caused by one uh, or the other. Uh, it's just around. And it's much less severe than it was last year. Um, but people, you know, are, we, we've become afraid of being sick a little bit because of everything that's around. And people want to know when it's going to be over. You know, how many more days? When is it going to be over? When am I going to feel good? And, and the reality of it is it affects people differently. Um, we have to be patient with our bodies and, and, and learn the cues of our body. If we're still having a fever, our body's fighting infection. Um, if you feel poor, you, you know, and you're achy or you have a headache, you need to rest and you need to, you know, take in proper nutrition. Uh, sometimes if you're the person that's sick and everybody's sick in your house, it's hard to get that, uh, nutrition. Again, that's when it comes back to, you know, selecting simple foods, uh, have people deliver you fruits, um, you know, that you can either make a smoothie or, uh, just eat the fruits. Um, and sometimes, you know, as Hippocrates says, it, it, it still won't hurt us to, to go a little bit if we can keep hydrated uh, without much food at all. Um, and again, it gives our bodies time to work on the problem as opposed to have to, you know, digest uh, poor foods in the process. So if somebody has diabetes, it's not the time to eat something sweet just because maybe we feel like that, you know, we need some comfort food because that comfort food can actually make us sicker than if we gave our bodies time to heal. So, you know, I'm, I, I just want uh, people to, to realize that their bodies are very capable of, of taking, you know, um, healing themselves given the opportunity, but we need to support ourselves a little bit and, uh, you know, really focus on taking in good nutri nutrients both before we get sick, but especially during. I always have to have a part of the podcast where I'm irritated. Um, I saw... Uh, a study looking at uh, the vertical sleeve gastrectomy and how it might change the microbiome and that might ultimately help people. Um, and it increases, um, the, the studies showed that uh, lactobacillus type species were increased after uh, the initial gastric uh, gastrectomy. So a vertical sleeve, basically part of the stomach is cut off and then the duodenum is reattached, so the small intestine is kind of pulled up to hook on so you have a much smaller pouch and 
Um, they noted that people had a better microbiome after they had the surgery. And it's been documented in other studies that when people undergo uh, gastric bypass or sleeve or banding, that initially they have a pretty big weight loss. And most of the time it settles out and can even uh, they can either gain their weight back or gain even more back. And when they've looked in the past, there is a big change in the gut microbiome. This goes along a lot with what we were saying before when people have a big surgery as, you know, if you have to get your belly opened and your stomach cut, it's a pretty big deal. And there's a healing process and people don't really want to eat for a while. They've been, you know, without any food. And that pretty much cleans the slate as far as your gut microbiome. If you do a fast, your microbiome is, you know, it's also fasting. So you, you know, you kind of clean the slate and you start again. So people start back easy with some fruits, uh, you know, and small things. Of course, they're going to select for a, a good gut bacteria. And then all of a sudden things are, things are good. But, you know, uh, human nature as it is, um, people start to feel better and start to go back to old ways of eating and taking in the other foods. And originally, uh, early on, it's small portions, and then it may become more caloric dense. And again, the gut microbiome reverts back to the old gut microbiome. The problem with that is that a lot of bacteria, or depending on what that microbiome is, can actually extract more calories from the food. So just like a cow has multiple stomachs and the bacteria actually are help the cow digest and absorb calories, absorb energy, our microbiome can participate that, like that as well. So there's some bacteria in the gut that actually can help to absorb more calories. So it's a vicious cycle with some people that are overweight if they have a microbiome that's actually extracting more calories from their food than, say, somebody with, with a different uh, gut bacteria. So, you know, a poor person is trying to lose weight, yet they're absorbing every little calorie that's possible as opposed to somebody that um, has a different bacteria and they're, you know, they're absorbing less. So they're eating more. You know, it's like, why can this person eat more than I do and not gain weight? Well, the part of that might be uh, their gut microbiome. Sad part about it is that uh, gastric surgery is a really big surgery and has a significant risk and morbidity associated with it. Um, once you cut part of your stomach out, uh, you don't get that back. Anytime you have a surgery, there's a risk for adhesions and scar tissue that change the ability of you to digest, the possibility of hernias in, in people that are significantly overweight, um, infections, pulmonary emboli, um, you know, heart attack during surgery, arrhythmias during surgery, aspiration, pneumonia. There's all kinds of things that people really don't talk about with elective surgeries. And so, to, you know, to get a gut microbiome that's better to help you lose weight, that's a big price to pay as opposed to uh, perhaps somebody talking and saying, hey, you know, let's, let's look at your plate and let's change up your nutrition. So, you know, I, again, I, I think that informed consent is often missing in a lot of these surgeries. Hey, we're going to help you to lose weight. You know, you hear the good, and, and maybe sometimes 
people just hear what they want to hear. Uh, you know, I know that in recall, uh, a lot of times people hear the first couple sentences and they turn off. Yes, this is what I want. Or perhaps they make a decision before they ever go. They've read on the internet, this is, the, this is going to be the solution to my problem. And so when the risks are being, um, you know, discussed, well, that probably, that's not going to happen to me. I'm healthy. I feel good. Um, there's no way that, that could be. And you, and you turn off listening to those things. So it, I'm sure there's a combination of it, but I felt bad that, you know, we were, uh, a medical journal was touting, you know, how this was a potential improvement or a, you know, another reason to do this, this invasive um, major surgery when, again, food could be thy medicine and medicine could be thy food in, in these people if somebody would just take a little bit of time. Uh, to, to make sure that they know exactly what they're, they're getting into. So I've had several patients with COVID over the past couple of weeks, and I have treated them with the, the vitamin regimen, high-dose vitamin C, higher-dose vitamin D, zinc, quercetin, um, as well as uh, steroids when needed, ivermectin uh, as needed, antibiotics as needed and you know thankfully everybody has has done well and the question comes well you know when am I okay to go back out into society um, how we and of course how do we know um, if you're exposed or somebody else exposed you and there's this big run on everybody going out and getting home tests and then you test to go back and when it's positive and which one do we look at uh, last year Around this time, you know, uh, the antigen test, the rapid test, the antigen actually looks at uh, specifically um, the nucleocapsid protein. So the antigen, and the antigen is a protein. Um, it's what the antibody attacks or attaches to. So that nucleocapsid is the, you know, the outer, outer shell of the virus. And the sensitivity is all over the place. The ability to detect um, that protein in the diff there's different marketers and different tests, uh, and of course it goes with you know whether people are having symptoms or not. But in a symptom, if you have one symptom, uh, the sensitivity or the ability to pick up somebody that actually has uh, COVID, 64 to 80 percent. So it's a pretty big range. If you don't have any symptoms, about 35 percent. So just taking a test every day just to see if you're sick and you don't have any symptoms at all, it's not very good at picking up whether you have COVID or not. If you have a positive antigen test, a positive rapid test, then that, uh, you know, is pretty much that there's virus around. The, that virus, the COVID virus, as long as they're picking up a COVID virus, it's probably there. Um, some people... Um, you know, the question is whether or not the variations, because there are some different genetic changes, are the DNA or sort of the RNA um, of the virus directs the makeup of the protein when the, when the virus is replicated inside our cells. So as the, the RNA mutates a little bit, uh, it can change that nuclear capsid protein. That's where we get the different shifts, um, as well as changing the, the spike protein and the ability for the antigen test may vary from test to test a little bit more. But it all comes down to if you have symptoms in a positive test, then chances are you have 
COVID-19, some form of it. And if you look at the PCR test, the PCR test picks up pieces of the RNA virus. So it doesn't pick up the whole, a whole string of the RNA, but it picks up pieces of it. And depending on how many cycles, it's how, you know, how, how long it looks and how much it really tries to pick up. So um, the PCR test is, uh, again, takes about 24 to 48 hours, and it's going to pick up whether you, you know, you have um, RNA, the, the actual RNA that's been replicated in, into your system. So it still comes down to having symptoms um, for the most part uh, as far as infectivity. You know, I think that we're acting like COVID is a new disease. A, you know, it's, an, it's a, the first time we've ever been exposed to a virus. How do we know if we're sick or not? We've, we've lost our ability to have common sense to know whether we're sick or not. And I think it comes back to the point where, um, you know, most of the time you don't want to be sick. Uh, you have a scratchy throat or you have a headache, you just don't feel right. You know you're getting sick, but you don't want to admit you're getting sick. Uh, you'd like to think maybe it'll go away, mind over matter. My mother-in-law used to say, I don't have time to be sick. And really, I didn't ever see the woman sick for the most part until she got cancer and died. But, you know, the, um, and even then, she really didn't give in until the bitter end. But nevertheless, you know, there's mind over matter. Uh, maybe if I don't act like her, if I start, you know, some of these uh, maybe I won't get sick, so am I truly sick? I think that's where we have to, you know, start to pay a little bit more attention is that, you know, these tests are confirmatory, just like every test is confirmatory. If you have chest pain and I'm trying to figure out whether or not it is your heart or it's not your heart, I have a pretest probability, depending on how you talk to me about what your chest pain is like or your shortness of breath or your fatigue, in my mind, I will say, you know what, I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 70% sure that she has coronary artery disease. Or it doesn't sound like she has coronary artery disease. And doing a test may help uh, me confirm of that's what I'm actually dealing with or exclude what I'm trying to deal with. So if somebody, uh, again, I think has chest discomfort, uh, it's a little bit atypical and I put them on a treadmill and they can go 10 or 12 minutes and they don't have any symptoms, chances are they're all right. It's not, or it's, that's not their heart causing the problem um, right then and there. Same thing with COVID. If you're not having any symptoms and the biggest one seems to be headache and fatigue um, and fevers, depending on the variant, whether people get a cough or a sore throat or more of congestion that, you know, and it also depends on the person a little bit, but that fever, body aches, that flu type symptoms is, is pretty much a universal finding or that, you know, that little change in your throat or that, you know, you talk to somebody on the phone and they, they seem like their, their head is full, their sinuses are full. You know, those are people that, you know, geez, maybe the infection that they have, could that possibly be COVID? That's a time to test one way or another. Um, again, if you do a rapid test and that's positive, then you pretty much confirm, yes, you have COVID. Uh, if that rapid test is negative, it doesn't mean you don't have COVID. It may just mean that you've not made enough protein um, to actually detect it. And that's where the PCR can pick up a little bit more of the RNA and, and be a little bit more confirmatory for people. Um, 
Also depends on how you do the test, who makes the test, you know, so there's a lot of variabilities. When it comes down to, are you finished? Are you well? Can you go back to work? Can you go back around your friends? You know, is it safe to expose other people? It comes down to how you feel. If you're still having a fever, your body's still responding to something, and you either have a secondary infection. Uh, a lot of times, that's why we give people antibiotics with COVID because they can get a secondary bacterial infection. Again, our microbiome is is kind of disrupted. Things that are pathogens that weren't causing us a problem, all of a sudden when our immune system takes a hit, become a problem. So maybe you're, maybe it's not COVID that's causing the fever. Maybe it's another secondary bacterial infection. Nevertheless, you could still spread it. So if you have fevers, you should stay away from other people. Um, same way with a cough. When you're coughing, you're spewing particles. And those particles are your bacteria and viruses that you harbor in your sputum. Whether they're bad or just part of your normal viral bacterial load or what you're, 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 you're spreading your microbiome when you cough and when you sneeze. And so if there's a risk, if you've had COVID, you know, you shouldn't be around people if you're actively coughing and, and sneezing on people. So you have to, you know, uh, that's, that's the main thing to me that, you know, we use common sense. When is, it, when is it okay to go back into public? When you feel okay. If you're intermittently coughing, then, you know, wearing a mask at that point might help you to not transmit as much. But still, I, I think that, you know, you need to let yourself rest and recover and, and be healed, not have a fever, not be coughing and, and uh, having symptoms. Then you're probably safe to go out into the community, whether that's four days or 10 days. It varies. I've seen people that were better in four days. I've seen people that still had fevers at eight days. So, you know, it, it, to, to, to put a number on it or to do a test that says, you know, one way or another, you're okay. I just, I just don't really think that it's um, locked in. And, and that and it's, you know, again, one size does not fit all. And, you know, some, for some reason, we're, we're trying to pigeonhole and not have people think. It goes back to Hippocrates. You can be your own doctor if you just have a little common sense. Um, you know, my, you know, uh, our grandparents, you know, your mother, um, you know, they've seen a bunch of people have raised a bunch of kids. They, you know, they pretty much have it figured out, you know, what happens in the, in the process of things. Um, a new parent you know, may, you know, that haven't seen kids have things, it's a little bit more confusing. But once you get some experience under your belt, that really counts for something. And so, you know, we, we shouldn't go blind to our own common sense through all this. That, you know, if you have symptoms, lay low. You know, this is a good time to, um, you know, catch up on your breathing technique, maybe a little, you know, if you're feeling really good, do a little bit of yoga, do something in your house, but but listen to your body. I think if we did a little bit more of that um, and a little less what's on, you know, the, the nightly news, we'd probably be better for it. That was my rant. Bottom line is there have been people with PCR tests and antigen tests that have stayed positive for a long time, and, you know, they didn't have any symptoms. So if you don't have any symptoms, you could harbor some virus, and I, I, don't, think you're, I don't think you're really that contagious. Uh, any more than you are with any other kind of microbes that you're sharing with your friends. There is a lot of uh, winter weather out there right now. Um, up north, uh, there's snowstorms, and it's difficult for people to get out and do their exercises. Um, 
I'm very lucky to be in Florida. I just have to decide, uh, you know, maybe put an extra layer on. Um, but, you know, we have it lucky down here, and I, I do um, feel bad for people up north that are having the bad weather. It's not really good running weather, uh, so to speak. But you know, when I lived in West Virginia, one of the things, you know, we were talking about the other night was, you know, we carried a lot of firewood. So we would dress appropriately and go outside, and we cut firewood and carried firewood. And if you went outside and you came back in, you didn't have a log, you know, then that was a problem. And, of course, we did a lot of cross-country skiing and, and sled riding. And, and that's, you know, when, when um, you know, uh, weren't in school. And, of course, you know, there's the driveway to, to shovel and uh, to move. So you can, you can get plenty of exercise in the wintertime doing some of those activities inside body weight calisthenics. If people have stairs, you know, uh, up and down the stairs with, the, with their weights. But it's a good time to, to work on mobility. And, uh, you know, where there's a will, there's a way uh, for people to get exercise in. Again, if you really want to do it, you, you can certainly do it. Um, you know, even with COVID, there's, there was people that, you know, did a... Uh, marathon on their little porch deck, you know, back and forth. So if, if you want to get the movement in, you can. Uh, it's just a matter of, of being committed and putting it on your calendar. Uh, and, um, you know, this is part of my day. March uh, is going to be the Treasure Coast Marathon in Stewart, Florida. We've got uh, several people coming down for, for that marathon and half marathon. There's also a relay. So uh, if anybody would uh, like to come down and do that marathon and get down to sunny south um, east on the east coast of Florida, love to see you or hear from you. Um, I'd love to hear from you on plant-based striders. If you, uh, it's a Facebook group, if you're somebody that's training for a race uh, or doing a race, I, I'd love for you to, to hop on over there and uh, let us know what, what you're training for and, and motivate, motivate us. And I'd also like you to, to hear from you of what you're doing um, if you're up north or someplace where your uh, snow is bad and the cold, you know, how you, how you getting your exercise in. I think it's, it can be very motivating for uh, a lot of a lot of us to, to hear what, you know, if you can do it, so can, can we. I'd like to congratulate Harvey Lewis. He won a 100-mile race in Tampa. And the area is called the Long Haul 100 last week. Um, talk about a motivating story he worked he works as a teacher and he was to leave ohio cincinnati area to come to florida to race and his flight got canceled and he had no notification of it until he got to the airport and so he rented a car and drove 13 hours got to the race an hour before it started ran 100 miles um had a headlamp go out ran in the dark fell a couple times still managed to win the race and still managed to take time to cheer on a couple little kids doing a kid race. So, you know, that to me is a sign. I mean, he is just uh, Mr. Positive. And I take a lot of, uh, you know, we did our long run on Saturday and Harvey was running and we finished and we were sitting around and Harvey was still running. And, you know, it ran into the evening and we checked on his, his uh, fiance was running the next overnight. We had some bad weather and she ran. So congratulations to Kelly as well. But you know, things like that really are motivating to me to hear uh, how people, you know, take uh, lemons and, and make lemonade. Or I heard um, some of you may listen to the Jocko podcast. He's a, a former Navy SEAL, and there's a thing, a motivational clip he has on YouTube, uh, and he says, good. Um, good that Harvey uh, missed his flight. That gives him the opportunity to see more of the United States as he's driving down and think about his race and maybe carry some different food with him that he wouldn't have been able to carry when he was on 
uh, an airplane, you know, um, good, you got COVID. Well, you needed time to rest and to work on your immune system and to work and plan on your nutrition and, and read some books. Last year when I got COVID, I read a lot of books, uh, educational books, and educated myself on vitamin C. Good things happen. So he answers every um, thing that may go wrong with good uh, because there's something good that comes out of everything. Uh, we just have to kind of look for it. So perhaps that can be your motto for um, the upcoming week as good. And tell me how everything is good that you're able to get out and do your exercise and perhaps what came out of uh, a nutrition uh, dilemma that good. Uh, I learned this because, um, you know, we always have the opportunity to learn and it's a process. It's a process for everybody. Uh, it doesn't always happen like we want it to. It sometimes often doesn't happen like we want it to. But it all works out for a reason, and we're, we typically are, are better for it when we look back. So let me know what you're doing for exercise. Motivate somebody else. Uh, be kind to other people. Uh, we're all struggling, and if you're coughing, you know, try to don't cough on other people if you can. Uh, otherwise, uh, I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, you can email me at jamie at drdelaney.com, D-U-L-A-N-E-Y. It's J-A-M-I, drdelaney.com, all spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R, D-U-L-A-N-E-Y.com is our website. You can find out how you can join our practice online or in person, um, and uh, we can uh, be, feel free to talk to you about that if you have some interest. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'll speak with you next week.